0: Uh, we are continuing our journey uh, through Acts this morning. Uh, we have uh, several more, more weeks of Acts, and uh, it's been a great blessing to me. I don't know about you, uh, but it's really challenged me to uh, look at my life, especially in the light of uh, two of our values, uh, Christ-centeredness and uh, dedicated disciple-making, and uh, really asking myself some serious questions about how I how I'm using my time, talent, and treasure, and if I'm using them uh, for the glory of God's gospel. Uh, and so I pray that uh, you are also having such experiences. But we're looking at life uh, in the early church, God's unstoppable work of building His church, uh, and that is God's mission to build His church. Uh, if you would recall the words in the Gospels. Uh, as he said, you know, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, um, but my Father in, in heaven and uh, upon this rock I will build my church. So God is doing the work. Um, and that's something that that we need to remind ourselves of because I feel like sometimes we, we take too much on ourselves. Uh, the responsibility, uh, if you will, of uh, especially in looking at witnessing you know we we, we we sometimes stray away from it because you know we don't want to be argumentative, but beyond that, you know we like I, I just don't want to say the wrong thing and 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 um you know lead somebody the wrong way this is this is god's work this is god's work, uh, so God is responsible for building his church, and uh, we don't want to lose sight of that uh, that it is God's work, and God is working, amen. Uh, So if you don't hear anything else this morning, I pray that you would take away uh, these two things, and that is that everybody needs the gospel, and somebody needs to hear it from you. Amen? A few scriptures that highlights this for us, that God is working, that God is doing the work. Ephesians 2 and 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 1 Corinthians 15 and 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. God is working. 1 Peter 4 and 11, whoever serves, let him serve by the strength that God supplies, so that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Uh, and Philippians 2, 12, 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation, for it is God who works in my, uh, who works in you to will and to work for His good pleasure. And lastly, 1 Corinthians 3, 6, and 7, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. God is working. Justin Holcomb, a a theology professor uh, in Florida at a college called uh, Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary and Reformed, Theological Seminary, in an article written for Crossway in a series titled Christ in All of the Scriptures, writes, Acts revealed God's passionate pursuit of his people, beginning first with his followers in Jerusalem, expanding to Samaria, then to the rest of the world. He goes on to say the gospel draws people in, constitutes them as a church centered on the grace of Jesus, and then sends them out to the mission. The new group of believers is marked by the Holy Spirit who creates such a distinctive community that others are drawn in, experiencing God's grace. At the same time, they take the gospel message to new people and new lands, making God's grace known to the ends of the earth. The gospel's expansion is the culmination of what God has been doing since the beginning, Luke consistently grounds salvation in the ancient purposes of God, which comes to fruition at God's initiative. God is working. Acts shows that the new Christian movement is not a fringe sect, but the culmination of God's plan of redemption. What was seen only as shadows in the Old Testament, God reveals finally and fully through Jesus Christ. The book of Acts does not primarily provide human patterns to emulate or avoid. Instead, it repeatedly calls us to reflect upon the work of God fulfilled in Jesus Christ, establishing the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are invited to enter and participate in a story that is much bigger than we are. You hear that? I love that part. We are invited to enter and to participate in a story that is much bigger than we are. This is important to note because, again, too often we get the unfortunate and misguided notion that our lives are our own. and We take too much on ourselves for the responsibility of the results of the gospel. God never held us accountable for the results of the gospel, only the charge to share it. Amen? And so we can't allow our circumstances or our comforts or our preferences to dictate our coming and going and whether or not we'll be obedient to God's call to share the gospel. Rather, we should set ourselves to be guided. Uh, We see in the scripture, the text, it says that they devoted themselves to prayer. So we should set ourselves to be guided with a prayerful and attentive obedience and dependence on the one who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We want to be clear again to note that it is God's work. It is God's mission. This is a narrative. There is a course. There is an intentional, uh, 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 purposeful um, uh, balance. Scripture says the balance of our days are in his hands. God has set forth all our works in us and for us. We aren't flying by the seat of our pants where whatever happens, happens, and God is not some unaware and unbothered uh, absentee father. He is present. He is actively engaged uh, by his spirit, by his set uh, plan for us. And he is divinely directing and passionately pursuing his people, and we'll see that in our text on this morning. Look with me, Acts chapter 8. Verses 26 and we'll read down to 31 says now an angel of the Lord said to Philip rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza this is a desert place and he rose and went and there was an Ethiopian a eunuch a court official of Candace queen of the Ethiopians who was in charge of all her treasure he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. How does Philip get here? How does Philip get to where he's He's, he's preaching the gospel, being guided by the Holy Spirit. Philip, along with Stephen, were one of the seven chosen back in Acts chapter 6 to care for the Hellenist uh, uh, Jewish widows who were being neglected uh, with the day, daily provision. So how does he go from serving tables in Jerusalem to preaching the gospel? And also in, uh, in Acts chapter 8, we see him casting out devils and healing the lame in Samaria, now preaching the good news about Jesus to an Ethiopian eunuch on a dirt road in a chariot. Philip is sharing in God's story. God is working and Philip is a part of it. God is our Emmanuel. He is with us and he is divinely directing. He's leading Philip. He's leading Philip by Saul's persecution of the church, which caused the children, uh, or not the children of God, but yes, the children of God, but caused the people of God to be scattered. Uh, to Samaria and other parts, uh, God is leading Philip by the angel of the Lord, directing him toward Gaza, and God's leading him uh, by his spirit, saying, hey, go to this chariot. So God is leading, God is moving. Knowing that God has a narrative that he's inviting us to participate in, we have to ask ourselves, what does a life led by God look like, Right? So if you're Philip, it means being used by God in whatever capacity God chooses to use us. You know, we can't say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not gifted like this person, or I don't have the ability of that person. Stephen was Stephen was serving tables. And we don't know what Stephen was doing before then, but we know he was, he was faithful in service, right? We know he was full of the Spirit and full of wisdom, right? Because those were the requirements. So we know that he was serving God... Of, uh, faithfully among the people, and so we have to avail ourselves to be used of God in whatever way and whatever time He wants to use us again, whether that 's serving tables or preaching the gospel or casting out demons or healing the lame. It means being Philip the waiter, one minute, Philip the evangelist, the next, uh, above all because of the people that 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 Jesus sent him to, that the spirit guided him to Samaria and now the Ethiopian eunuch. It means having a heart for those that God has a heart for. God's heart is laid out uh, in Acts verses 1 and 8, a call by the Spirit for Spirit-empowered witness uh, to the whole world, not just in times and places where we're comfortable, not just with people that we like. Amen? Now, there are many things that pose a threat to Uh, Us fulfilling this call, one of the greatest threats we just gave mention to, our comfort. Our our, our, Our comfort is a threat to our call because our comforts have the ability to hold us hostage. Our comforts keeps us. In times where God is nudging you to open your mouth, our comforts keep our mouth closed, doesn't it? And we, we know even if you hadn't had the experience where God is, God is unctioning you to do something but your comfort won't let you do it, how many have been sitting watching a TV uh, show or a movie and the show goes off and something comes on that you don't want to watch but the remote is about three feet away but you're comfortable and you didn't move to go get the remote? Anybody ever had that experience? It's just me. Brother George is with me. Amen. But our comforts can hold us hostage, and so um, we want to make sure that we're guarding against that. Uh, For Philip here in in Jerusalem, I've been responding to the gospel. The church is growing in leaps. Again, they gave the number of of 20,000 plus uh, back in Acts chapter, I think that was 3, Acts chapter 3. So things are going well. But God's heart is not limited just to the people who are there in Jerusalem. He said that you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to uh, the uttermost parts or to the end of the earth. And so God raises up Stephen first, and things get really uncomfortable for the church really fast. Uh, We see here the words in Acts chapter 7, the latter verses, uh, as Stephen It's preaching. It says, now when they heard these things, talking about the religious leaders, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. It says they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears, and I don't know about you guys, but this is the the picture that I got. Can you imagine how tormented you have to be as as a grown person to do something like that? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? So their anger quickly rises from being just offended to full-on mob mentality to the point of grabbing him and dragging him to the outskirts of the city to stone him. And we see this young man, Saul, that, text, that the text makes mentions of in at the beginning of, well, the latter part of 7, and then again in uh, the first part of 8, that says he was ravaging the church, entering uh, house to house, and dragging people off to prison. God has brought any comfort that Philip and the rest of uh, uh, the disciples had there in Jerusalem to an end. And the thing that, that jumped out to me in that is we really have to rethink hardship and how we view hardship and how we view persecution now we we're not we're not nobody's coming into the house and dragging us out to to prison but sometimes we do experience hardship and sometimes sometimes it is the enemy we have an adversary we know that but sometimes it's the hand of God in this case for the church it was the hand of God pushing them out of their comfort, pushing them from Jerusalem and to Judea and to Samaria and to the end of the earth, right? So sometimes the very thing that opposes us is the very thing that God is using to push us in position to use us for his glory. Christ being our greatest examples of this, right? Scripture says that it, pre- it pleased the Lord to bruise him. In uh, Isaiah 53 and 10, or pleased the Lord to crush him Imagine that word, to crush him. So hardship is not always our adversary. Again, we can't be so quick to blame everything uh, on the devil. Hardship is sometimes the will of a loving father pushing us uh, in passionate pursuit of his people. And so great persecution, we see it says that again in the beginning of Acts chapter 8, great persecution arose in the church uh, in Jerusalem, and they all were scattered. And while it doesn't say specifically here, uh, before Philip goes to Samaria, it doesn't say specifically uh, there that the Lord was leading him, but I believe he was following an unction for the Spirit. Uh, why else would he go to Samaria of all places? Uh, if you recall, there, 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 there was bad blood there. Uh, even the woman uh, at the well uh, said to Christ, what What dealings? Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Uh, So I definitely believe it was God leading Philip uh, here to the Samaria, to Samaria, excuse me. And this could have been Philip's response. He could have had the same response as the woman at the well to say, hey, no, no God, no Jesus, no, no spirit. Uh, we, we, We don't have any, any dealings with one another. He could, allow, he could have allowed his prejudices to speak louder than the voice of God and chosen not to obey, chosen to stay there in Jerusalem. But what we see is, again, God working to fulfill his mission, and we, feed, we see Philip joyfully submitting to play his part. Uh, in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 8, uh, here's where we see that they went scattered and going about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed uh, to them the Christ. And here in our text this morning again, he see, he obeys rather as an angel of the Lord leads him to take this, uh, take this road down to Gaza. And here he'll meet uh, the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, supposedly this was a a, a desert road a, a isolated place and uh, some commentaries note that it was a uh, an odd time of day where there would not be much uh, traffic uh, on the road and so it, it it very well could have seemed odd to him uh, to find himself in this place uh, I, I recently a few weeks ago had an experience where i uh, almost like autopilot, drove to a Crystal, and I'm parking there, and the only thing I really like at Crystal's is the breakfast, and I parked, and I'm like, what am I doing here? And then a brother walked past my driver's uh, my driver's side window, and when I saw him, I immediately knew, okay, Lord, I'm supposed to talk to this man. I knew why I was there, and so we have those experiences, and Philip is having that experience now, so What do we know about the Ethiopian eunuch? Uh, Commentaries vary as to his status as a eunuch. You have the physical eunuch. They have castrated him. You have those who have taken vows of of celibacy. And then uh, also, and I just found this out while studying for this message, that is also actually a title for a state official. Interesting, right? Who else knew that? You didn't know that. (laughs) Amen, amen. Uh, excuse me. Uh, but looking at the text and reading through different translations, both the KJV and the CSB both refer to him uh, as a eunuch and a high official of Candace, and so that would suggest that he was probably both, and that becomes important later on. Um, but he's riding in this chariot, returning from uh, Jerusalem worship, and Scripture tells us that he's reading aloud the, the prophet Isaiah, And it tells us that he's reading from this passage in Isaiah. It says, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Again, God is working. God is working through Philip. And Philip, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, goes up to the chariot and asks, you know, do you understand what you're reading? And he, asked, of course, responds, how can I accept someone guides me? And he invites Philip up. And Philip, uh, the scripture says, "Open his mouth. He availed himself to be used, right? God didn't tell him beforehand. If you notice each step, God just said, hey, go here. Hey, go here. God never tells him the whole story. He tells them step by step, and God doesn't tell him what to say. So again, we have to take confidence that the Holy Spirit is leading, that he's guiding, and that when we get to that moment, we'll know why we're there, and we'll know what to say. Amen. Philip opened up his mouth and God filled it and he told him the good news about Jesus beginning from this text in Isaiah. To which, of course, the man responded later in the text. We see he says, here's water, what prevents me from being baptized? Faith come by hearing, hearing by the word of God. He believed the words of Philip. Scripture tells us that they went down into the water and when they were coming up, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. To his next assignment. Just a few thoughts um, here on some things that we can take away from uh, Philip's experience, and uh, we'll call it a day. Um, but I don't want to don't want to rush over uh, what's happening here, and just how much God is um, participating. In the life of the church, um, I don't want us to I don't want us to think that the Spirit of God is limited to the Bible in that day, those people, and that the Spirit of God is not active and present and working in and through us. Amen. And so the first thing we can take away from this uh, is that this is, again, God's narrative. Uh, It's God's mission, and God is working. He invites us, again, as uh, uh, Professor Holcomb shared, he invites us to participate, but it is ultimately God who is doing the work. He calls us as co-laborers, but again, God is doing the work, and nothing, nothing takes the place over sharing the gospel It is paramount. That's why it is a call. And this is the second thing. That's why it is a call to the church. See, we can look at the first part of Acts here and we see the apostles doing this and the apostles doing that. And we could walk away saying, well, that's what he called the apostles to, or that's what he called the preacher to. But 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, if any man any man be in Christ. He's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are made new. You get down to verse 20, and what do you see again? Giving us the ministry and message of reconciliation, imploring us on behalf of Christ to cry out, be reconciled to God. So that's that's the job of a believer. Amen? So God's not just calling the apostles, not just calling the preachers, and thus I believe that's why he inserts the, the, the narrative of Stephen and the narrative of Philip in here to show us, because again, these were men who were called to serve tables. These were men who were called as, as, as deacons, the first deacons you might say, but they found themselves doing miraculous works, preaching the gospel and performing miracles. Um. Next thing, um, we're not gatekeepers. We don't have, um, it's not our job to determine who's worthy of the gospel. Again, we see, uh, we'll see later uh, when Peter has this vision uh, uh, of this great sheep that is let down from heaven, and he says, no, uh, or rather the Spirit of the Lord says, arise, Peter, kill, and eat. And he says, not so, Lord, I've never touched anything unclean. And this happens a few different times. And then the Lord, uh, or rather the Lord gives him, uh, the Lord has given Cornelius instruction to call for Peter. Peter goes and he sees Cornelius and his house uh, get saved and the spirit of the Lord fall on them as he has fallen uh, on um, on the Jews. And so... um, Peter resolves in saying, I perceive that God is not a respecter of persons. So we don't get to decide who deserves to hear the gospel, who deserves to receive the gospel or not. That is God. And God said that it's not my will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen? Both of Philip's encounters, both of Philip's encounters were uh, two people or two a group that others would have rejected. So we want to make sure that we're guarding. Uh, against being gatekeepers. Uh, And the last and final thing uh, that I want to encourage us in um, is something that I've said quite a few times uh, here this morning. Um, Family God is doing the work. You know, I know there's lots of things that come up, fear, uh, unbelief, uh, and I guess if you, if you boil down all of our excuses, that's what it really is, It's unbelief. We don't believe that God will. I don't want to say we don't believe that God can, but we don't believe that God will. Uh, and I want to encourage you, as we see him working uh, through Philip here, if we've seen him work, work, working through the disciples here, God will because God is on a mission to build his church but he's called us to be co-laborers. My prayer for uh, myself and my prayer for you and my prayer for this church is that we would follow wherever God leads and give the treasure that was freely given to us. Amen.